Anybody ever watch Band of Brothers? Yeah, yeah. One of the, one of the great things uh, on TV. Anyway, we're closing in on our series called Follow. Uh, this week and next week, that's it. We wrap it up next week. I've shown you a couple of videos today uh, sh- showing uh, <laughs> David Schwimmer from uh, Friends in a different role altogether. Um, but the, the Band of Brothers follows Easy Company as it kind of moved around through uh, World War II. And uh, it had, during the training session, Easy Company had this really rotten guy called uh, Colonel and then Lieutenant Sobel, who was uh, not, the best, not the best leader. Uh, so it's no surprise. We're looking at leadership issues today. Uh, and if you are, as a Christian, uh, you're the boss, you're the manager, uh, you're the company owner, uh, you run that branch, uh, you're something like, a, I don't know, lead pastor of a church, uh, you're a parent, you're a teacher, uh, you've got people under your charge, you're a mentor, uh, there's something in this for you. So let me pray for our, our time and we'll dig in. God, thank you for those that are here. Thank you for uh, hearts uh, that, uh, Lord, open us up to hear what you want us to hear, uh, that we could be what you want us to be. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> well, in the series Follow, we're uh, talking all about what it means to follow Jesus, right? Uh, different people are in different stages of following uh, some of you may be like me, you know, you kind of heard about Jesus from little on when you were little munchkins. Maybe you grew up in church. Uh, I, I accepted Christ when I was 12, and so uh, not a whole lot of uh, mystery for me from, from later on and stuff. But maybe you're an adult, and you're just kind of beginning to think about following Christ, beginning to dig in and see who he's, what he's all about, and that's cool. But as we said from the very beginning, you don't have to believe everything at the beginning to start following. You don't have to obey everything at the beginning to start following. Many of Jesus' first century followers, followers didn't believe anything really when they got started. They just knew that they were somebody that was liking them and asking them to tag along. Uh, they certainly didn't obey everything Jesus said until much later. So a lot of people are trying to figure stuff out. Not surprising. Not, it's okay. But there is kind of an assumption in this whole idea of following Jesus that we haven't talked about yet, and, and it's this. If Jesus is someone to be followed, that he must be a leader that's worth following. And when we think about Jesus, if you think about the portrayals of Christ, you don't often see him in terms of uh, great leadership. Uh, but he was actually a pretty extraordinary leader. But he, he didn't come just to be a religious figure. He came to bring about some dramatic change. Unfortunately, I think in a lot of the pictures you see, maybe even a lot of the movies you see, he's just kind of a weakling, kind of puny. I mean, they have to help him into the boats and help him out of the boats and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't think we'd be talking about this guy 2,000 years later if there wasn't something incredible and powerful about him and his leadership. So we're going to look at a passage today where Jesus gives us kind of the secret from his perspective of what great leadership is. I think it might be something that this duck didn't have, so we're going to find out what it is. If you're not a Jesus follower, you get to pick and choose what you want to hear, but if you are a Christ follower, This is what Jesus is inviting us into as his followers in terms of leadership and what he actually commands us to be. So, to put Jesus' leadership model into a little context, I've got some uh, very famous, successful brands right on the screen for you. So, just to compare this to uh, Jesus, he built his brand in three years. He now has hundreds of thousands of franchises all over the globe, and he never used a a frequent fire mile. Pretty impressive, right? Pretty extraordinary. So we're going to look at a conversation between Jesus and his followers where he basically stops them on the way to Jerusalem 
and essentially says to them, you know, okay, if you are ever in a position where you are uh, an authority of some kind, you have an authority or influence over someone else, somebody looks up to you as the leader, then this is, this is how you have to kind of do it. And what's interesting is that all the guys he's talking to, except for one, ends up being that kind of, you know, point leader, uh, a great leader. <clears throat> so we're in the Gospel of Mark. If you've got your Bibles or your apps, you can turn there. Uh, we'll have it on the screen, but you know what? If you don't have your Bibles or apps, you don't know if it's what I'm putting on the screen. It's actually what's there. So you always got to trust and verify, right? <laughs> trust a little bit, but also verify so you're not being led astray by some goofball pastor, right? But here's what uh, my Bible says in the English Standard Version. As Jesus is talking uh, to these guys about how things are going to go bad on this trip. They were on their way to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. And he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. Yeah, like just we know bad things are ahead for this truck and the car behind it with these porta potties, right? Everybody knows who's following Christ that Jerusalem is a bad place to be. It's a dangerous place to go hang out. And they frankly cannot believe that he's going there. Why? Why would you put yourself in harm's way? It makes no sense unless you get it that Jesus came to put himself in harm's way for the benefit of mankind to deal with that rascally sin problem. So Jesus is trying to let them know that, yeah, th things have been pretty great so far. We've had all kinds of miracles and feeding of 5,000. I mean, it's just been awesome. You know, he, people getting healed. Crowds are following. I'm really a popular figure. People are wanting to put me, you know, in as king and all. It's just awesome. But things are not going to stay great. If you want to follow me, Jesus is saying, you, you've got to get ready for a few hard times. Here's what he says. We are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man, which if you read the book of Mark, you know that that's what Jesus, that was his name for himself, Son of Man. The Son of Man, I'm going to be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. So basically he's telling them then that all these people had been kind of milling about, looking for an opportunity to grab onto him and arrest him and cart him away. They've not been successful because the crowds have kind of been in the way. Uh, and sometimes Jesus has just kind of disappeared from view. But Jesus is saying, this time, this time when we go to Jerusalem, they're, they're going to be successful. The, the large crowds surrounding Christ are going to kind of dissipate a little bit. And they're not going to be able to keep these guys away from getting to Jesus. Here's what he says. They're going to condemn him, talking about himself. They're going to condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, that's, that's the Romans, who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. And so Jesus is saying, look, I just want you to, I just want to know where this is going. I'm going to tell you right now what's going to happen so that when it happens, you won't be all that surprised. So, so just get ready. Make sure that you're, you're ready. Then it says, then, meaning like right away, right after Jesus says this, straight away, <laughs> James and John, two of the twelve, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's a little odd. Yeah, we're really sorry about that, you know, arresting thing and spitting thing and flogging thing and killing thing. But can you do us a, can you do us a favor? 
It's, it's kind of like the kid in school learning about dragons while everybody else is paying attention to math. Or when you're having like a really deep and meaningful conversation with your kids, right? And you, you, you think maybe you've gotten through. If you're a parent, you know this. You know this. <laughs> you know the story. You got through, you say, well, do you have any questions? And they say, yeah, can we go upstairs and play now? Or can we go out and get some ice cream? Or, hey, how do you grow whiskers? That's the kind of stuff you get when kids really paying attention to that kind of stuff. Jesus has to feel like, like that kind of moment with these guys. He's just shared all this deep stuff, all this hard stuff that's going to happen. And the response is, hey, can you do us, can you do us a favor? Can we, go, can we go get some ice cream? I don't know. what. <laughs> Here's what they say. What do you want me to do for you, he says. They replied, let one of us sit on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. So, I mean, that question says a whole lot about where their heads are, what they really heard. Bottom line, they really did not believe what Jesus just said. They expect him to at some point throw off his rabbinical robes and and become the king of Israel and that's going to happen probably before anybody lays a hand on him. We, we might think that they believe Jesus and, and that he, they're expecting that he's going to become king after he rises from the dead. The only problem with that is that we know from their own accounts that none of them expected Jesus to come back from the dead. And when he did, none of them believed it at first. So I'm back to... They really didn't believe what was going to happen to Jesus was what Jesus said was going to happen to him. Somebody might try to get him. Somebody might try to nab him. But they're going to probably fail. And Jesus is going to burst forth as king. So they're looking ahead at this happening. And given this assumption, their their concern was this. When when you become the king, can we be your two primary assistants? We We know that you're the ultimate authority. We got that. We can't be the king, but can we be your right hand and left hand guys? Can we exercise power and authority over everybody with, with you? And interestingly, Jesus doesn't get mad. He doesn't scream and yell. He begins to tell them how they sort of really don't understand what it is that they're asking. They're really not, they're not, they're not getting it yet. But even that effort is kind of interrupted because the other 10 guys kind of hear about what's going on. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. So there's two of them talking to Jesus, and the other ten hear about this conversation, and they're, they're kind of ticked off like this Spanish crowd, right? And they're, they're not upset because James and John were insensitive, although they should have been, about Jesus being, you know, arrested and spit on and beaten and mocked and then killed. No, they were ticked off because they all wanted to be on the right hand and left hand of Jesus as he becomes king. We just don't want to be left out. And the next thing you know, there's a big food fight over who gets to be what when Jesus becomes king. And Jesus realizes, man, not just these two that haven't been paying attention, nobody's quite got this. So he gathers them all around and he begins to spell out for them what leadership, you want to be a leader? Here's what leadership kind of looks like in the kingdom. Then he's going, to, he's going to say to them, and he's saying to us, when you're the leader, when you have authority over people, when, when you have influence over people, when you're kind of in charge of something, you are going to have to, as my followers, follow me. You're going to have to exercise 
that authority like I do. So here's how it went down. Jesus calls them together and says, you know, because you've observed humanity, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Jesus uses two different Greek words that basically mean essentially the same thing. He says, you know how leadership works in this world, right? You've seen the Roman Empire at work. If you're the leader, you lord it over the people under your authority. You know how authority works. If you're in authority, then you leverage your authority to get what's best for you. Everybody under your authority uh, is there to serve you. The second term means to abuse your power, and it's exercise authority. You exercise authority. You, you dominate them. They're there for your pleasure. They're, they're there to do your bidding. It's all about you because what? You're on top. And everybody below the people who are on top are, well, there to serve the person on top. And then the people below that, there may be some bosses and whatnot below that, but the people that work for them, they think they're working for their boss. But really, because you know that you're on top, that everybody below you, all those levels are really there for you. All the way down the line, everybody's there for you. And the disciples are probably thinking, exactly, Jesus, you're absolutely right. That is how things work. And that's why we want to be in charge. We don't want to be lorded over. We want to lord over. We don't want to be ruled over, right? We want to be the rulers. We want to have ex exercised uh, authority over us. We want to be the ones that are exercising authority over everybody else. I mean, we know we can't be you, but maybe we can be little yous over the people beneath us. Again, Jesus doesn't punch them which he might have wanted to do. Maybe he smiled, I'm not sure. But here's what he says. Not so with you. Not so with you. In other words, I, I, I know that you see how things actually work in the normal world. We've seen how authority works in the Roman Empire, but that's not how I work. And as a result, that's not going to be how you work. Not so with you. And then Jesus, in his typical fashion, just turns everything completely upside down. He says, if you're going to be a follower of mine, if you're going to claim to be one of my followers, then you've got to lead like I lead. Anytime you find yourself in a position of authority, you've you got to lead that way. And then he says it this way. Instead, instead of leading like everybody else, instead of exercising authority, instead of lording it over, instead of being a domination person, so getting what you want, getting everything for you, seeing everybody as your, your people that are there to serve you. Instead of that, whoever wants to become great among you, you, you guys, my followers, and this is key, right? Becomes great in this context means you, you want to be the leader? Really? You want to be, you want to be the leader? You want, to, you, want to be the, you want to be the ruler? You want to be the exerciser of authority? You want to be the branch chief? You want to supervise the division? You want to run the entire East Coast. You want, to, you want to be the CEO. All those sound great. Any of you guys who really want to be great, the big kahuna, here's how, you, here's how you get there. If you want to be great, you must be the servant. 
And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. So, any of you guys want to be the leader? <laughs> all you got to do is be the servant. The slave of the other 11. Suddenly you know that they're deflated. If you want to be great, you got to be the servant. If you want to be first, I mean, that's the big you at the top. I mean, the person who, when all the discussion is over, the guy that gets to make the decision, the girl that gets to make the decision, the one who gets to decide what everybody else is going to be doing, the answer going forward, you want to be in first? Just be the slave of everybody else. And the disciples are probably thinking, well, when you think about it, I'm not sure that's even going to work. I mean, if that's the case, no one's going to ever get anything done. Jesus, Jesus, you just took everything that we know about authority, everything we know about ruling, everything we've ever seen about leading, and you just flipped the whole thing on its head. What, what do you mean to be great? We have to be servants. And if we want to be first, we've got to be slaves. And some of you are probably thinking the same thing, right? Like the Stephen Wright saying. Certain things just don't work in the real world. I mean, maybe this crazy thing that Jesus is talking about might possibly, might possibly work in some church thing or some maybe religious nonprofit. But surely it can't function in the military. Surely it can't function in the really marketplace or in the real world. And this is kind of why we're talking about this today. If we're going to be a Jesus follower, which frankly has very little to do with your hour and a half time here at the State Theater on Sunday morning has a whole lot to do with the other 166.5 hours of the week. So you and I are to follow him every day. And, and part of our responsibility is learning to lead like Jesus leads. For we learn to, instead of lording over, we learn to serve. Now, some of you might actually work in organizations where you've seen this happen on occasion. Maybe as, as Jesus followers, some of you actually function in organizations. Maybe you lead businesses, divisions, departments, branches, franchises. Maybe you lead it this way, but I got to tell you, it's not natural. It's about as rare as in our world as it is in, was in Jesus's world. But, but see, here's, how, here's what Jesus is not saying. He's not arguing against point leadership. We know that because he was a point leader. He appointed point leaders and they became point leaders. Jesus is not saying you just stand at the door all day and hold the door open and, live. okay, you first, you first, you first. And he never does anything. No. We know this is not what Jesus is talking about because it's not really what Jesus did. He got an extraordinary amount of things done. And then ultimately so did his followers. What Jesus is teaching is not about being passive. It's not about not being productive. He's teaching that when we have authority... When we have power, we use that power and authority to serve others. We leverage our authority for the benefit, not just of us, not even primarily of us, but of others, maybe even the company, right? Those above us, maybe even those equal to us. And that's it. We're to leverage it for the sake of others. That could be at home, if you're a parent. It could be in the marketplace. It could be in the community. It can be in the nonprofit world. It can be in the for-profit world. And, and here's the thing. If you, know, if you know that you've ever seen this done, it creates this incredible, incredible atmosphere and a much stronger culture, even though on the front end it may not seem that intuitive. Um, and, and here's why. See, if you're working for somebody and you believe that that person, 
who is in charge of you is out for himself or herself, then you've got no choice but to be on the lookout for you, right? Some of you work in places like that, don't you? Maybe some of you have actually accidentally created places like that where it's really all about you, about, about my name, about my reputation, about my advancement, about my dreams, and everybody else there is there to basically feed, to make that happen. And you know, if you work with somebody that has those kind of leadership perspectives, you know you just have to look out for you. Because nobody else is going to be doing it. But can we just sort of pretend for a moment? That, that can we just imagine for a moment a different environment? A different workplace? A different home? A different classroom? Because if you believe that your leader is for you and is serving in that capacity, wanting the absolute best for you, you are freed from having to look out for number one. Why? Because somebody else already has your back. You can zero in on the mission. You can zero in on helping everybody else be great. You can serve, which means you can lead like Jesus led. And that's why Jesus told his followers. That's what I want you to do. That's what I want you to create. That's what I want you to be wherever you go. Wherever you go, wherever you exercise authority of any kind of leadership, do it in such a way that the people who report to you, respond to you, count on you, those who've chosen to follow you, right? Those who make it through the application process and get hired by you, ensure that they all live with this confidence that as their leader, you are for them. That you are not just there for you. And Jesus says, look, if you're going to lead like me, if you're going to be a follower of mine, that's how leadership looks. Now, it seems as though, if you do some historical looking, that pretty much every generation, every age, has had people thinking and pondering and wondering, you know, what great leadership looks like. I've got an ancient one on the screen for you, but in our lifetimes, in the 80s, it was Stephen Covey, right? For some of you, it may have been John Maxwell. Uh, for still others, uh, maybe it was Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great. Collins did a ton of research on what makes great leaders great. They do this and this and this and this, right? But he's, he started digging a little bit deeper, and he was trying to determine, is there a single distinguishing characteristic of kind of, that's kind of common among all the great leaders that, he's, that he looked at? And he actually admits that as he began this process, he expected to find a particular answer. He thought what he would find is that the thing that, was the, made, that made leaders great was charisma. It wasn't. What he found? The thing that made all the great leaders great was humility. Humility. And he kind of came to this conclusion that great leaders have this tension where they, they love progress, they love seeing things move forward. And every great leader has this, right? But then there's also this, this humility that is so compelling that it just sucks people in, into their vortex like magnets. To which Jesus would step back and say, yeah, it's kind of what I'm talking about 2,000 years ago. If you're going to lead like that, you're going to lead like me, you're going to make progress. You're going to make progress like I've made progress. 
You're going to create a culture in an environment where people love to do what they love to do. And you turn the whole pyramid upside down. The more authority you have, the more responsibility you have to be for those under your authority. Collins found that great leaders were very ambitious, but not necessarily for themselves in getting ahead. They're ambitious for their business. They're ambitious for their, their people. They're ambitious for the mission. And I think Jesus would say, yeah, that's kind of what I'm telling you 2,000 years ago. Now, throughout this series, we've told you that if you follow Christ, your life's going to end up being better. If you follow Jesus, you'll do life better. We said in the last couple of weeks that if you follow Christ, there's going to be a, a budding of heads that happen between your will and God's will. And, and if you consistently decide to choose to say yes to God and no to you, you you're going to find that you're choosing to follow Christ and your life's going to end up being better. Um, perfect example. If you ever worked in a company or for someone where the person you worked with had your best interest at heart, you know what a powerful and even replenishing environment that can be. Right? If you've ever worked for someone who's all about them, don't you know that everybody in that place is looking for a new place and a new opportunity, right? So if you're thinking of becoming a Jesus follower, rest assured that you're going to end up with authority over other people. Know that your Savior has called you to lead in such a way that you are serving the people that are there and that they are not there to serve you. I cannot personally claim to be a great leader, but I, I did a couple things right. I came out here as a 20-something Christian to the East Coast back in the 70s. And uh, I've told you before um, that my parents always had a, one question that constantly got asked of me that I never had an answer to. And the question was, what were you thinking? I never had an answer for that. that was, I was that kid. But at the CIA, uh, there was another question that kept coming up all through my 33 years there, for which I never had an answer and frankly never had an interest in having an answer. And, and that question was this. Where do you see yourself in five years? You may have been asked that question. <laughs> where do you see yourself in five years? I'm asked by sure, uh, for sure by well-meaning bosses. I, I, I didn't have a five-year game plan. I was just happy to have a job. I wanted to do the best job I could so I didn't get fired at the end of my probationary period. I wanted to be a great teammate. I wanted to make my bosses look smart for having hired me. And, and I figured this, that if I just did those things, then I could just let God take care of the results in any advancement. But that was it for three plus decades. I initiated applying for a job one time, and that's when I went on a rotational assignment. I came back and they said, just apply for any job you want. So I had to go out and find, find something. <laughs> Every other time, it was just somebody came up and said, you know, you're really, you're impressing us because you're not really as dumb as you look. You're not quite as dumb as you look. And therefore, we think that maybe you could be useful to us as an organization over, over here. So here's a job, it's coming open, apply for that. That's how it worked for me. When I became a manager, not a whole lot changed. My goals changed ever so slightly. I became responsible for hiring people. And I said, I want to hire great people, and I want to grow them to be people who could take over my job and, and beyond. Uh, I wanted to be a great teammate to all the other managers that were on my level. 
I wanted to be um, still the person that my bosses didn't think they were idiots for having put me in the job. And then I, when it continued to say, well, if I get advanced at all, then that's going to be, that's, that's God's job. I'm not going to worry about that. And uh, now I'm a lead pastor. I got one, one employee officially E over there, but I've got a bunch of you guys that are volunteer coordinators that I kind of have to, you know, see that myself is managing a little bit. Um, but I, I see that job as basically serving you and encouraging you to grow in your depth with God without you feeling like, oh, okay, I'm lording it over you or exercising authority or using you or abusing you. Uh, one little way I do this or try to, maybe some of you experience this, People will come to the surge and they'll go, hey, I really like the surge. I like, I like the building. I like the feeling. I like the atmosphere. I like the fact that it's not, as, not 5,000 people. I like the fact that you guys all know each other and everybody's friendly and love each other and all that kind of stuff. He said, I would like to be part of this thing. What, what, well, what, do, I want to, what do you want me to do? And I always respond exactly the same way. I never answer that question. I go, I'm not going I don't, to, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. There's got all kinds of needs. There's all kinds of stuff that we, we should be doing. But here's what I want you to do. If you could maybe tell me what do you think God is telling you to do. <laughs> what, what holes do you see that might need to be filled that, you, that you God has uniquely placed you and energized you to, to sort of do that? What, what do you see that we're doing wrong or not well that we, maybe you could help fix? What's God given you a passion for, a kind of heartfelt desire for? Is there something that we haven't even thought of that we ought to be doing that you know, nobody around here is going to think of, but God sent you to make that thing happen? So I kind of throw it back because I want the decision to be one that that person and God sort of makes. And I know that if that happens, God's going to empower you and excite you in a way that my telling you what to do will never do. Plus, if I tell you to do something and it goes south, who gets the blame? Yeah, me. Yeah, so... I firmly believe that if we lead that way, then you guys are going to have freedom to do everything that God tells you to do. Now, now here's, how this, here's how this pays off a little bit. Um, Steve is out there, right? Steve Anderson. Steve, Steve and Diane Anderson started coming a couple, a couple months ago. Uh, Jackie and I uh, headed over after church one day, uh, and we had this fantastic kind of get acquainted conversation uh, with Claire and Don's. We talked, I think, I think we talked about a million things because I think the, the lunch broke up about four o'clock. It was really awesome. Um, you know, just in time for dinner. And along the path of that discussion, um, Diane said something like, it would be really kind of cool. I mean, I was at a church one time where we actually had some people out front in, in the, on, on the street or you know, outside the building. So as people dro- drove by or walked by or whatever, we could, we could engage them. And I remember thinking something, I may have said something really brilliant like, well, that sounds really, that sounds neat. I mean, it, just, it, was, a, it was a dumb answer. I don't know, know what to do. The next thing I know, the ladies group gets together last month and they decide they're going to make this happen. Then, about four weeks ago, they actually implemented it. And I was out there about, uh, for a few minutes, about two weeks ago, and uh, there was a young woman who, well, I think she was jogging by, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, she was on the sidewalk, and she, she was sort of, hey, what's this? She stopped, she, she talked for a few minutes, grabbed some pastry, and uh, just, you know, hey, we're with the church, and we do this, and it's like, you know, it was just, it's cool. But, but listen, here's, here's my point. The freedom that the gals felt to just do that, it kind of began, I think, with a purposeful intention of setting a culture here where people 
don't feel like they're micromanaged and bossed around and controlled, where they can be free to do what God tells them to do, and it's going to be okay. I mean, nobody was sneaking around going, how do we keep this thing, how do we keep Dwayne from knowing about this? Because if he knows about this, he's going to stop us. I mean, nobody, nobody felt that way, right? And of course, also, I have bosses, by the way. I got elder board. And I want to do my job in such a way that they don't think it's a stupid idea that they continue to pay me for being here. So in addition to all those things, in addition to your growth, I want this place to be a place as, as we are, a place that welcomes new people, that, uh, that loves to see new people, maybe even folks who are not even Christians, maybe just people who are curious about what's going on. And I figure if, if I just do that, I can let God take care of the results. There's one more little thing I think that, that's kind of cool about what's going on around here, and I can't take all the credit for it. But if you look at how Jesus actually functioned in terms of leadership, he did a lot of things for people that he didn't do for everybody. You read the Gospels, you'll see this all the time. He heals a guy at the pool at Beth- Bethesda in, in, in the temple area. There's like, there's like tons of people all over this place waiting. There's the myth that if an angel comes down and stirs the water, the first person in the water gets healed. Maybe it's not the brilliant thing. Anyway, there's all these people there who've been lame for all these years. He heals one guy. One guy. He doesn't heal everybody. He just heals one. He feeds 5,000 people. One time. Maybe two, but he doesn't feed everybody all the time. He stops one day at a city in Samaria. And he leads the woman at the well to faith in him. And she goes, and basically a lot of people in the city get saved. But he doesn't visit every city in Samaria. He doesn't stop for everybody. So it's like, okay, that's kind of a thing with him. <laughs> he does one thing that has a spiritual connection that he'd like to see happen for everybody, but he doesn't do it for everyone. So Serge is doing some cool things. A year ago, we made a commitment to help Eve. He has a, had a vision for becoming a life coach. So we funded that training for him. I don't know if you know it or not, but Emily's in a three-year program, Emily Lawyer, to get a professional counseling degree. She's going to the Manassas campus of Dallas Theological Seminary. We are sponsoring that by paying for all that training. We've got an intern the second year in a row with Service Never Sleeps. The intern we have this year is doing uh, some awesome stuff down at an abused women's shelter down in D.C. Uh, We had Lauren Witherspoon up on stage a few weeks ago with uh, Second Story. We're doing some stuff there to fund that, volunteer that, uh, basically helping teens uh, in crisis. Um, and then just a, what, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, Steve, we were over at your place, a bunch of us, for a part, with ApartmentLife.org. They're doing this thing where they're building community and the Falls Green apartments over there, a huge complex. And we got to go there and just hang out and talk to people and drop some hot dogs on the ground and eat those. Anyway, <laughs> it was a blast, right? So we're not going to be able to do that for every apartment complex in the whole area, but we can do it for some. And I think that as we grow and as you guys uh, decide, hey, you know what, uh, your resources and your time are going to be well served by, by being a part of that. We can do more of those kind of things for, for individuals that we might want to do for even a broader, a broader cadre. Maybe you're wondering why I'm pounding this leadership thing to death. Well, it's close to my heart, uh, just one thing, but I do happen to think it's crucial. And there's this practical reality, right? Um, I think that based on what we've heard this morning from Christ, if you happen to be a Jesus follower and you happen to be a servant leader, 
I just think that that would probably make that organization the most productive, the most nimble, the most safe for women, the most extraordinary place to work in the world. I think organizations would be dying to hire Christians who are genuine servant leaders following Christ because it's going to make their organization far better. They're going to retain their employees better. They're going to be better productive when they're there. They're going to be more creative when they're there because they're not going to be said they're you know, operating in fear. Um, I think if we got one thing right, got this thing right, it could transform our culture. I mean, I love reading about leadership. I love the gurus and the books. But, you know, with what Christ has told us, we really don't need those, really, do we? If we just served people that we work for, that work for us. But if we're going to use our authority to serve others, we've got to find some humility, I think. Maybe, maybe Collins was right. We have to confront our egos a little bit. Because at some point, we've got to ask the question, is pouring myself into whatever I'm doing so that I can get some glory, so I can get the promotion, so I can be seen as the man on top, the gal on top, am, am I worth really living, giving my life for? I mean, is my good name, my reputation, is my, my stardom enough to throw my whole life work into it? I, I, I think the answer to that is, is no. <laughs> because about five years after I'm gone, unless I become the President of the United States or something, no one's going to think about me except my family. And probably most of them won't either. How many years are going to go by before we're just distant memories? Just a faded color photograph or a black and white photograph? How many of you have spent any time in the last two decades thinking about Rutherford B. Hayes? And there's a guy that was actually president. My guess is none of you. My guess is most of you didn't even know who this picture was. It's the president of the United States. He doesn't get a second of your attention. Welcome to the real world. But the good news is this. If we are followers of Christ... We can leverage the authority that God has given us in this life in such a way that God gets the glory and he gets the praise. And I think maybe his name is worth pouring ourselves into. I don't think your name is, and I, don't, I know my name isn't worth pouring my whole life into that. But I think God is. But if we can pour all that we are and all that we have into his glory, I think we'll still be talking about God five years after I'm here, after I leave. And Jesus says, look, if you're going to follow me, this is how you have to do it. You know how everybody else does it. You've worked in organizations that do it that way. Not so. Not so with you. You know how everybody else leverages their authority so that they can get what they want? It's all about them. Yeah, yeah, we've seen that, but not so with you. You know how everybody else wants to be the big shot, end up on top of the pyramid so they can receive all the praise and everybody can look at you. They can be the ones on the front of Time magazine. Not so with you. And then at the end of this little conversation, Jesus makes a statement that this basically blows any excuse we have out of the water. Here's what he says. For even the Son of Man, his name for himself, even the Son of Man, even I did not come to be served. I mean, I'm, I'm God after all. I'm the, I'm the Son of God. I'm God. I did not come here to be served. 
but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. In other words, if you're, if you're a Jesus follower, what in the heck are you doing expecting people to serve you with no regard for their ultimate benefit? Jesus is not asking us to do anything he hasn't already done. And how far did Jesus take this? Lose a bonus? Have to share in the credit for some idea? Have to share in the profits for a great idea that he had that really benefited the rest of the company? No, he took it all the way. He gave his life. It's a ransom for many. And then he turns to the twelve... And by definition, to those of us who are followers, and says, follow me. Follow me in doing that. Follow me in giving your life for the benefit and service of other people who you find under your authority or are under your influence or that you're mentoring or that you're helping. It could be anywhere. In the home, in a classroom, in the hospital. You'll be better off if you do. Everybody else will be better off if you do. Everybody wins if we just choose to follow Jesus. So here's my question and we're done. What does that look like in your world? What's it look like in your world? Where can you begin to do that? What do you need to do tomorrow to make that start happening? And if you don't think you can make a difference, listen, you are bigger than a mosquito. You really are. You can make a difference. Look, I've got to tell you, you're getting this on one dose. I've had to study this thing for about four weeks. It's so convicting to me because I'm not a whole lot different than you guys. I can get so busy doing church stuff, thinking I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing by writing a sermon or whatever. I can get so busy with my stuff that I, sometimes I don't take the time to pause and ask, hey, how, wh wh what can I do to help? What can I do to serve? What can I do to be a blessing? How can I loan myself out to someone who's in need? Maybe doing it for everybody might be overwhelming, but is there someone I could do that for? And in doing so, be a display, a reflection, a model of what our Heavenly Father simply did for us through Christ. It's just what Jesus did. It's what he calls us to. Listen, it's what... It's what the goofy secular research is telling us. This is what great leaders do. Wouldn't it be cool if we were the generation, even if it's only in our community, that the perception of Christianity completely gets changed, turned up on its head because of our willingness to simply lead with that kind of humility that Jesus had and serve. Let me pray for us.